0: Welcome to Beyond Politics Broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts for all of our podcast (laughs) listeners, or if you're listening in your car or in your kitchen as you prep dinner for your kids, we hope that you have hit the subscribe or follow button on the podcast platform of your choice. Your subscriptions really do help us out, and we appreciate all the people who have gone ahead and subscribed recently. We're seeing all those numbers show up in all our fancy data and analytics, and it's awesome. Speaking of awesome, you may hear a certain breathless quality in my voice right now. That's because former Congressman Paul Hodes and I, my co-host on Beyond Politics, were talking earlier this week and saying, we really need to find a way to bring our listeners the inside scoop on what's going on with the California recall election, which is the epicenter of the political world this week. And so I started racking my brains as to who I could get, who would be the insider of all insiders who could talk to all of our podcasts and radio listeners. And it came to me. We actually know one of the very best in the country, probably the world, on this topic, on California politics, and I have to say national politics. She also knows a thing or two about New Hampshire. Kathleen Ronayne, is a veteran of the new hampshire scene she's a veteran of the concord monitor which for our national listeners the concord monitor is like the finishing school of journalists all around the country you see a high level journalist working in america today they probably came through the concord monitor she also then moved on to the associated press and then she super duper moved on to california she has since been covering national politics california politics and of course the governor recall election in California. It is just delightful to see Kathleen Ronane, one of the pro of pros uh, in journalism, on Zoom and bring your voice to our radio listeners. Kathleen, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. I don't know that I've ever been called an insider's insider before, but I will take it.
0: You know stuff. That's the key, <laughs> is, is you, you really super duper know stuff. So All right. With all of that, by the time this episode releases on podcast and gets aired on Monday, all of the breathlessness will have been taken out because, of course, you know we're well. We are literally kind of putting this together on the fly. You have a very brief window. You are literally on your way to go cover Governor Newsom casting his own ballot news story in in California. So you've got just a little bit of time with us. Um, Let's let's shoehorn in what we can. First of all. Can you just bring everyone up to speed on how we got there? Why are we having a recall election in California?
1: Sure. So California loves to do things at the ballot. So we have a lot of ballot initiatives. Um, the The recall process is a is sort of a ballot initiative in and of itself. And this isn't the first time that California has had a recall election against its governor. So some people might not realize this, but Arnold Schwarzenegger actually was elected governor in a recall election in 2003. So Democrat Gray Davis, this was um, following the energy crisis kind of spurred by Enron and other factors. Uh, voters weren't very happy. They kicked him out, they replaced him with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that was the first time that a recall attempt against a governor made the ballot. This is the second time. Pretty much every governor in the modern era um, has faced a recall attempt, but this is only the second one that's ever gotten to the ballot. So just some basics how you get it to the ballot is you need um, 12% of the population that voted in the last election to sign a petition saying that they want the governor to be recalled. So this thing started back last February. So February, 2020, you've got um, really this amateur political organizer, a guy named Orrin Heatley, he's a former sheriff's deputy um, in a county just outside Sacramento. He had been involved with some prior Recall efforts that didn't really go anywhere. So one day he's sitting at home and he sees a clip online of Governor Newsom sharing with, um, speaking to immigrants and saying, you know, if somebody knocks on your door, if ICE knocks on your door and they don't have a warrant, you don't have to open it. Well, this really incenses Oren. He doesn't like it. Um, You know, he doesn't feel like that's the right message coming from law enforcement. And so he decides that he's going to try again on the recall, he's going to pursue his own effort. Um, and you know, all the reasons they want to recall Newsom don't have anything to do with the pandemic because the pandemic isn't a public health threat in the US yet. I mean, it's percolating, but it's not, you know, states aren't shutting down. Um then about a month later, Newsom issues the nation's first stay-at-home order, and he's very aggressive in responding to the coronavirus. And sort of that ends up giving people something to be upset about, you know, you have, you have people that are already upset that never liked Newsom anyway. People think of California as a democratic state, but we have 5 million registered Republicans, 6 million people who voted for Trump. Um, So the the pandemic sort of, it puts Newsom front and center. He's in front of people every single day. It's sort of people start, while most Californians approve of what he's doing, you know, there's a minority of people that don't and you only need 12% of people to sign this recall petition. Um, So things are kind of rolling along. Um it, it doesn't really seem like it's gonna go anywhere, but then a couple key things happen. I hope I'm not giving you too much detail, but a couple key things happen. No,
0: the story is absolutely fascinating because it sounds <laughs> it sounds wild. It sounds like I I mean it, it really it, it's not like an organized thing, it's like it's like this kind of crazy it's California. Baby. California yeah, Cal- well, go California on, go
2: dreaming. on
0: Keep going.
1: These are not political professionals. I mean eventually political professionals veterans of the 2003 recall do get involved, but the guys who started this thing, they're not political professionals. And was so one of them
0: like a radio host?
1: Yeah, one of them, he's no longer like fully involved with the effort, but yeah, he was a radio host, a guy named Randy Economy down in Southern California. Um kind of an interesting guy, like wears an eye patch, um calls himself like <laughs> yeah. a Pirate yeah. of, farming, you know, it's it's interesting.
2: So political pirate.
1: Yeah. So we get to the fall, and I just wrote a story about this the other day. So the pandemic, it sort of hampers, you know, your traditional signature gathering efforts, right? Maybe you would go to a farmer's market, or you would be outside of a grocery store, um, but people are just skittish; they're not really talking to people. So a couple, um, a couple other. Proponents of a couple other ballot measures had gone to a judge and they had said, um, we need extra time to collect signatures because the pandemic is really hampering us and they win, they get extra time. And so it's, I believe it's October of last year and recall organizers have, you know, several hundred thousand signatures, maybe more than, maybe more than half a million at this point, but they're about to run out of time. They're supposed to be done on November 17th. There's no way they're going to get to the 1.5 million that they need so they see what these other guys have done and they say oh we're going to ask for an extension as well so they go to court they ask for more time to get their signatures and you know the secretary of state tries to argue against it but he's a little bit hamstrung because he's previously not opposed these other ballot measures that want to get extra time so a judge goes ahead and he grants them extra time And so on the same day that he finalizes his ruling saying you can have four extra months to gather signatures, that happens to be the day that Governor Newsom goes to the French Laundry, which I don't know if people in New Hampshire have heard about this, but the French Laundry is one of the country's most expensive, most exclusive restaurants. It's a Napa Valley wine country. The cheapest meal there is $350. Newsom gets invited to a birthday party and there's about a dozen people there this all comes out like you know a week later with pictures and San Francisco Chronicle broke the story so this is at is the same time song? he, he so in the photos he doesn't have a mask on i mean he is sitting around a table so you know you you can't wear a mask when you eat but he's he's not wearing a mask in the pictures and at the time he's been telling californians wear a mask socially distance and if you and don't don't gather with more than 3 households. If you have to gather, don't gather with more than three households. Well, he's there with a dozen people. It's more than three households. And like, it's not illegal to dine out. Napa County at the time was allowing indoor dining. It's not illegal to dine out, but he's, he's, it's this example of doing one thing and saying, saying one thing and doing another. And it it sort of, it happens on the same day that they get more time. And it just sort of becomes, I mean, that story exploded. Everybody saw that story and it just, becomes this kind of catalyst for frustrated people um, coupled with the idea that they've now got four more months to gather their signatures. And over the next four months, you know, um, it starts to become obvious that, you know, this thing is going to make it to the ballot. So that's sort of how we got where we are. I mean, I I do want to stress like polling has consistently shown Governor Newsom's approval ratings, you know, remain above 50 percent. Recent polls showed 58% of people approve of his handling of the coronavirus. So just because there's a recall does not mean there is widespread discontent with the governor. We're ultimately going to see on Tuesday how people feel. You know, you need, there's 22 million registered voters. They needed 1.5 million to get this thing on the ballot. So I I just want to highlight those numbers, but it is still a feat. Like people have tried this against a lot of governors. People tried it against Newsom from the day that he got in office. And this is only the second time that it's been successful. And, you know that probably wouldn't have happened had it not been for um, the pandemic and Newsom being so in front of people, um, you know, his team disputes that it's because of the French laundry. And I think that's a little, that's too simple of an explanation, but it certainly was this moment that really crystallized um, a lot of things and became sort of a, a thing that people could point to, to exemplify all of the reasons that they don't like Gavin Newsom.
2: Mm. So he did not invite the President Macron of France to the French Lombardy at this party. It was you know, merely <laughs> some friends of his, I suppose. But but okay, now let, let me uh, just delve into insanity for a moment. I want to I want to spiral us down into a the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Political Insanity. So, if I'm not mistaken, there you've said there have been two of these successful recall uh, petitions in California, too, in which- Against the governor. Got, there have been the others governor. at
1: lower, lower levels, many more at lower right. levels.
2: So is, is the recall law insane? I mean, couldn't somebody win with like 20% of the vote in theory? Because once the recall happens- All you know what breaks loose and the you know what hits the you know what.
0: Well, and actually, if you think about it, given what we just learned from Kathleen, I want to piggyback because out of 22 million voters, they needed 1.5 million, but you don't need all those people to actually show up and vote. So you could have an astonishingly small percentage, couldn't you, like of, of California voters choose the next governor, totally unrepresentative of what people think.
1: Yeah, so I'm not gonna comment on whether the, I think the process is insane or not, but I can, I can explain it. So you get, um, you guys are right that if he is recalled, someone could become the governor with a small fraction of the vote. And that is something that a lot of people have pointed to. Um, there have been some pretty prominent, a, a pretty prominent law professor out here basically saying the recall is unconstitutional. Um, so I'll just rewind and explain it. So when you get a ballot, um, it has two questions on it. and every California voter got mailed a ballot. So it, September 14th is election day, but I really like to say that it's September 14th is the last day to vote because more than, as of a couple of days ago, more than six million people had already mailed in their ballots. It's probably by the time this airs, like, could be closer to seven or eight million, um, and those are just the ballots that have been received. So your ballot has two questions. One should the governor be recalled, and it's a yes or no, and that's just a simple majority. So if more than half of voters want him gone, he's done. Um, and so if he it, then you get a second question that says if he is recalled, who should replace him? And there's 46 candidates running um, on this question. And if he is recalled, whoever gets the most votes on the second question becomes the governor. So you could have a situation where. of voters want Newsom gone, which means 49% want to keep him, but the next governor only wins support from 20% of the voters, um, which some people have said they believe is unconstitutional. Um, You know, we'll see ultimately if that happens, if it's challenged. I do want to note that like in 2003, this didn't happen because Arnold Schwarzenegger was such a unifying figure. So he actually got more total votes than people that wanted to keep Gray Davis. So it, it it wasn't really a factor, but this time around, we don't have a galvanizing unifying figure like Arnold Schwarzenegger. The closest thing is this talk radio host, Larry Elder from Southern California, um, conservative libertarian, been on the radio for a long time. Um, he is considered the Republican frontrunner, but like, he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Um, Arnold was also a, more of a I mean, Democrats might not like me saying this, but someone who, yes, he was a Republican, but was, you know, not like on the fringes. Right. And, um, Larry Elder is a very, very conservative candidate. You know, he doesn't support abortion rights. Um, he doesn't think that there should be a minimum wage, you know, these positions that are like really out of step with the mainstream of California voters. So he's not able to, attract a wide net nor is he trying you know he's not he's not trying to appeal to the middle and so if newsom is recalled and recent polls show that he has a good chance of surviving this thing but if he's recalled you could have him replaced by someone with a very small fraction of the vote and that's prompting a lot of conversations among democrats about, you know, whether it's time to change these recall laws, which have been in place since, I think, 1911, 1913, somewhere around there. They were, you know, reforms of the progressive era to sort of give voters a tool to kick out, you know, corrupt leaders.
0: So if Newsom is recalled, and let's say replaced by a Larry Elder type, what's at stake? What what could happen? I mean, I've heard talk of, well, if, if Diane Feinstein should, should die, that would be one ramification. Are there are there other things? Are there initiatives or pending items in the legislature? What would it mean?
1: Sure. So, you know, even if a Republican takes office, we're still going to have a supermajority in the state legislature. Democrats hold a supermajority in both chambers. And so that does limit some of what a Republican governor would be able to do. And um, the legislative session is just ending. And So a bunch of bills are going to the governor's desk. Even if Newsom loses, there's still going to be a little bit of a window where he's going to be able to sign or veto legislation. So you kind of have like an immediate backstop, right? But you know, opponents um, or support opponents of the recall. So people who want to keep Newsom, they like to point to things like, well, a governor can appoint judges. Or um, the point that Matt brought up, a governor could appoint a replacement in the US Senate. Now. This is a little bit of a tricky argument, right? Um, you know, it, it's basically an argument predicated on the idea that Diane Feinstein, who's 88 years old, is going to die. Um, which, you know, at this point, there's no indication that that is that that is imminent, and she is pretty clear that she has no plans to step down from the seat. You know, a lot of people or die. talk about how she should, but I will note that she won in 2018 against a Democratic challenger who was backed by the California Democratic Party. So, you know, voters chose to send Dianne Feinstein back to Washington. Um, but, you know, and, and knew some kind of dances around this. They're allies. He's certainly not gonna say um, that this is a possibility, but instead he says, you know, who would Larry Elder have appointed to replace Kamala Harris in the U.S. Senate? Because that was something that, you know, the governor just had the ability to do. So. Um, there are appointments like that. Obviously, um, the governor has line item veto power. So um, in the budget, you know, particularly after what happened in Texas, we're hearing um, abortion rights advocates, you know, saying that the a governor, a Republican governor could, you know, slash um, funding in the budget for reproductive health care, um, you know, they may have some power to um, on services provided for the, the Medi-Cal population. And um, I don't know specifically what they could do around Medi-Cal. But you know, they are raising some concerns that a, a Republican governor wouldn't be completely powerless just because there is a, a democratic legislature. And sort of one of the tools that the governor has been using is he's been pointing to states like Texas and Florida, states with Republican leaders to say, you know, this could, this could be our future if I lose. And, you know. Some of that may be hyperbolic, right, Um, because the state is so strongly democratic. Um, I was talking to a former strategist of Rick Perry's the other day because the governor is now bringing up Texas. And the strategist was saying to me, you know, just because if, if the governor's recalled, California doesn't suddenly become a socially conservative state. Um, so he was sort of trying to downplay downplay those concerns. But then you go talk to Planned Parenthood and they say, you know, there's a lot this guy could do that could be really harmful. So um, I guess it's sort of in the eye of the beholder what exactly the stakes are. But there are some practical things that a Republican governor um, could do, though they would be blunted in a lot of ways.
2: So with with a plethora of candidates uh, vying to replace a potentially recalled governor, what Has the campaign been like?
1: That's a good question. So, you know, you talk to some people that were here in 2003 and they say, you know, it hasn't approached the quite the circus-like atmosphere that that did. I think at that time there were more than 130 candidates running. So this time we've got 46 names on the ballot, although one candidate has since dropped out. Um, But we do have some interesting characters. So we've got a guy, John Cox, who's a perennial candidate. I believe he's run for president and has perhaps been on the ballot in the new hampshire primary i'm not sure he sort of runs in a lot of places he we don't have
0: vermin supreme on the the ballot (laughs) i do not have
1: vermin supreme running no but it wouldn't surprise me um so john cox ran against newsom in 2018 and he um he lost pretty badly newsom i think won like 62 percent of the vote um well john cox is back and um this time something that you guys may have seen um, back in the summer, he campaigned alongside a live 1,000-pound bear. So he was attempting to make the art. So he got it. He brought in um, Fred Davis, who you guys might know, is this kind of famed ad man that does kind of quirky stuff. So he he ha- he can self fund. So he brings in Fred Davis, and they do this whole thing where they brand. The message is beauty versus the beast. So kind of Newsom is this airhead, pretty boy kind of thing. And John Cox, you know, will bring beastly solutions to California, um, which, you know, some observers kind of said, I don't know, is like a roaring bear, like a message that will resonate with people. But he did this campaign event where he brought the bear out and, you know, we're in Sacramento and the bear is like sitting in this little area, just like ambling behind him while he's doing while he's doing this event and there's a trainer like throwing it snacks and stuff like that and so he he did this in a couple places around the state he similarly like he campaigned alongside an 8 foot ball of trash to try to symbolize um you know homelessness and the sort of what it's bringing to the to the state um which you know make of that what you will um he campaigned with like a giant monopoly board that he called Gavinopoly, but the bear was definitely the highlight. I I think the Bears owner and him are being like sued by some animal rights group right now. Um,
2: Hold on. You got to hold on one second. Quick, Just a quick interruption. The first time I ran for the U.S. Congress, I dragged around with a ball and chain, a giant uh, mobile about the deficit. Uh, I lost that race a lot. And in another campaign in Dover, New Hampshire, I ended up campaigning with a goat. I don't think I won then either. So make
0: what you will of it, but governor. This, but isn't the bear, it the same so thing? So maybe
1: props don't help. Bears, is that a, bears, yeah,
0: props. But, but wait, yeah. isn't you used to be an actor in your in your young days, Paul? Isn't the advice don't ever act with animals or children? Maybe That's maybe we correct. should apply that to campaign. All right, That's look. Probably, anyway, um, sorry.
1: Oh wait, there's one other interesting guy I want oh, to tell, tell guys us. About. Please, there is a 29 year old multi millionaire YouTube. Star, who is also running for governor, and he is one of the few Democrats on the replacement ballot. So he makes YouTube videos about how to invest your money, how to invest in real estate. Um, Among his campaign ideas are building a pipeline from the Mississippi River all the way out to California to bring us more water. So little bit of a, little bit of a unique idea. He's an interesting guy, um, worth something like $30 million, age 29. So hasn't done bad for himself, but no political experience. Um, but he has been out there making his videos, doing his thing. So those are probably two of the more interesting it, when it comes to sort of quirky things, you know, the bear and the YouTuber are some of the, some of the highlights. Like, Most of the our people listeners. are, not very active in the campaign.
0: You know? so, just, just so our listeners know, I called Kathleen a, an insider's insider and a pros pro earlier in the show. One of the things that makes her an absolute top pro is her ability to engage with stuff like this without rolling her eyes. It's amazing. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I used to watch you back in New Hampshire covering politics with a straight face cover stuff like this and like, keep your eyes level. It's, it's a superpower. All right, let me ask you an actual analytical question. I mean, there is there is a chance, it does seem like polls are weighing in favor of the governor surviving this, but you know, there is a chance of the recall going through. And beyond that, some of the early responses from voters have been troubling to Democratic strategists and operatives. They have been very concerned about whether they're getting any engagement whether there's going to be sufficient turnout, whether they're getting attention, especially from Latino voters? Would some of the underperformance of Democrats nationally that we saw in the 2020 cycle play out again in California as an an experienced uh, analyst and, and viewer of all of these political dynamics? What are you going to be watching for As the returns come in, that will be of interest to you, that would be of concern to observers? How do people watch this like a pro, like you?
1: Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is um, you know, the first dump of votes that we get and everything that's counted on election night, that is not going to give you a full picture of what has happened because California accepts mail ballots as long as they're postmarked by election day, they can return, they can come in up to a week after the election and still be counted. So we're gonna end up with a vote count that is not ultimately going to be the final one. And, and what Newsom strategist said the other day is they said, our lead is only going to grow after election day. And I said, well, does does that mean you're already declaring victory? And they said, no, it doesn't, but you, know, you can kind of see how they're feeling. But yeah, to your point, I think turnout among Latino voters um, is gonna be something that people are watching um, Latino voters in California tend to be younger on the whole. So Latino voters and young people are they turning out to vote? Are they motivated? Um, these are voters that tend to vote more in presidential election cycles. I know that there are some Latino strategists who feel that the campaign um, you know was too little too late in terms of really reaching out to Latino voters. You have to remember, um, you know, Latinos are now the um, the largest, they're forty percent of California. Which is higher than the percentage of white voters. So they're the largest racial racial and ethnic group in the state of California. Um, And they were really devastated by the pandemic uh, because they um, are more likely to have, you know, be essential workers or. um, So there's been some concern that um, Newsom hasn't been doing enough to speak to them about, you know, what he's done for them and also what he's for. He's been spending a lot of time talking about what the other guys are against. And so seeing how that ultimately plays out. You know, the the share of the electorate in California that is Latino is only going to continue to grow. And so there's a real sense among Latino strategists that campaigns need to figure out how to engage these voters early and often and give them something to vote for. So I'll certainly be looking for that. Um, Another thing would be, you know, the governor is basically telling his supporters, vote no on the first question and don't even answer the second one, don't even bother. There's no prominent Democrat running on the second ballot. They very effectively kept someone off. You know, there are eight Democrats, but they are unknowns. You know, the the YouTube guy is the best, the most well-known. So how many, what's the drop-off? You know, if Newsom wins, what's the drop-off? Or if he loses from question one to question two, Um, because if he loses, you know, there's going to be a real sense that many Democrats just took a pass. And so what does that mean on question two? So that's something that I'm going to be looking out for as well. And just overall, overall turnout, I just actually just got new numbers in. So as of today, which is Friday, 7.3 million people have voted. That's about a third of the overall electorate, um, which isn't bad at this point. At this, the Friday morning before the presidential Turnout was 42%, so we're, you know, as expected, we're behind, there's a a guy out here, Paul Mitchell, who um, tracks all this stuff and sends out a daily email and it's really great. Um, So, you know, how high is turnout? I think in the 2003 recall, it was about 62% of registered voters, but um, it was only 9 million people. So, you know, we already have 7.3 million people who voted, it's a third of the electorate, so that tells you how the electorate has like grown and changed since 2003. So those are some of the things I'll be looking at. But yeah, for anyone watching this, um, you know, we could, obviously AP calls races, we could get a call on election night, but we might not because so many, because the way these votes are counted, um, if it's close, you know, so many votes are going to be coming in after election day that will need to be counted.
0: Well, Kathleen Romaine, I know we have to let you go. We are, we are out of the time that you have been able to give us because for our listeners who didn't catch this in the first segment Kathleen is literally on her way to go cover this story live as it's unfolding on the ground. Thank you so much for joining us and giving your, your insights into this fascinating political event.
1: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been it's been fun, and I hope, uh, hope some people in New Hampshire are interested in this recall, because it's certainly an interesting story.
0: Well, that was absolutely fascinating. I really enjoyed that, and I think our listeners can all tell that Kathleen truly is a pro's pro. Fascinating stuff going on out there. What did you take away from that, Paul? I mean, besides, don't ever campaign next to a goat, a bear, a giant ball of, of that was a Parks and Rec episode, actually. Was I mean, don't yeah, campaign really, next to a giant yeah. ball. I mean, what, what else did you take away from?
2: A ball of trash is what is what the guy was dragging around with him. Um, it is, it, you know, California is Parks and Rec when it comes to politics. It's clear. I mean. Um, there, if I'm not mistaken, and I stand to be corrected, I think in the history of the United States, there are something like three successful attempts to recall governors. Uh, Two of those three are in California. I forget, you probably know where the other one was, but I I don't don't know where the other one was. But clearly, California is is wacky. Okay, let's just face it. I mean, New Hampshire is eccentric, California, uh, on the other coast, is wacky. It's the sunshine. It's the fires. It's climate change. I mean, who knows what's going on out there? And and Governor Gavin Newsom, you know, here here's a, a movie star looking kind of guy who goes out in the in, to the French Laundry to eat an expensive dinner with 12 people when he's told people don't go out to restaurants to eat, wear your mask, don't, be a, don't hang out with more than three people. And there he is drinking French champagne and eating the most expensive meal on at least the left coast. Um, uh, and, and he gets caught. Um, so he gets caught at a time of, of COVID crisis. And general, general upset. California, the one, so something I take away from Kathleen Romaine is California is a little crazy. I mean, so they they got a governor recall election and they have 46 people on the ballot running to replace him. The Democrats, in their blase, blase naivete, apparently don't even bother to put on the ballot a well-known Democrat in case- Well, that was an intentional strategy. The governors recall. I I get it. I get it. It's an intentional strategy to force Democrats into out of their Democratic somnambulance and to force Democrats out to uh, cast their ballots and to say, the only the only guy you should cast your ballot for is Gavin Newsom. Meanwhile, you, there's a 29-year-old multi-millionaire YouTuber running as a Democrat who wants to connect the Mississippi River to California. Not necessarily a great alternative. Now, I it was kind of a, it was an intentional strategy from the Democrats and a gamble. But I will say to the credit of the Democrats, who I just dissed. Um, and, and you know, I, I will now eat my eat my words in dissing the Democrats, at least as of today, because it looks like the strategy may have proved to be okay. And I say that because the, De- I, I know I'm just talking, but I got, let me just finish this point, and then you can, I know you're desperate to chime in, then you can chime in, but, but hear me out. A lot of people were we're dissing the Democrats. What You guys are crazy for doing what you did. But it looks like, according to what we know about the mail-in ballots from the 22 million registered voters, which Kathleen told us is now at about 7.3, the data is showing that Democrats are off to a very encouraging start, turning in more than twice the number submitted by Republicans, which largely mirrors the party's registration edge in the state, um, with most of those uh, being uh, 65 years or or older. So the big question marks, as Kathleen raised, are, are going to, I think, are going to turn out to be what will uh, Hispanic Latino voters do in California?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly just wanted to broaden the discussion out a little bit because you're right. It is looking as of today and you know, I, I, I'm i not sure it's very likely to change by the time that this airs and releases as a podcast on Monday. It is looking like Governor Newsom is going to survive. My concern is more with the recall system and not for itself, because I don't live in California. I mean, I think it's it, it's an awfully dumb way for what would be the sixth largest country in the world, if it were a standalone country, to choose its leadership. I think that's, I, yeah, I think it's insane. But what bothers me more is that, to me, it's an avatar of what we're seeing around the country and what Republicans are trying to engineer, which is an election system that strays away from what Democratic elections are supposed to do, which is to get a representative sample of the electorate, of all eligible voters, and to have them determine the leadership that they want to have, the representation that they want to have. We don't see that in California. There is the potential here for 12% of the voters to choose to go forward with a recall. And then as Kathleen laid out, you could have, if Larry Elder wins, if we wake up Wednesday morning and it's looking like Larry Elder is going to win, then you could have 20% of the voters that choose to show up be an entirely unrepresentative segment choosing the leadership of what would be the sixth largest country in the world. And that's what we're seeing with Republicans with their voting laws around the country and with gerrymandering is trying to engineer the shape of the electorate so that it is not representative. I don't care about every single voter in America showing up. I'm not all about I don't believe in referenda. I don't believe in in, in universal voting. Um, I don't believe in enforced, mandated voting. Those are systems that other countries use. I am fine with any voting system that allows a representative sample of the electorate to all vote on equal terms. And that's not what we're seeing with these kinds of initiatives or with California's insane recall system.
2: Let, Let me zoom out. And you take not a 30 or 40,000 foot view, but a 60,000 foot view about what you've just said. Because what you're really, the larger issue, even larger than the recall, um, and the, the, the uh, crazy small percentages that may tell us who the next governor is. But what you we've really been experiencing in the last 20 years is, is a is a challenge to our fundamental notions of democracy. We have had a largely stable democratic system, albeit dysfunctional, but a stable democratic system where people could count on the stability of voting, the stability of when votes happen, the stability of how votes happen. And while there have been um, certainly yeah, important questions raised about how to expand voting. The Republicans have gone out of their way to suppress voting. Uh, but more than that, I think the turmoil that, that the California initiative represents with a crazy talk show host, conservative Republican, as the leading alternative. With the, there's, with the attack on the Capitol in January 6th, with the Republican efforts to turn history on its head uh, and to lie repeatedly, with the ascension of Donald Trump and Trumpism as the representative of the Republican Party. Uh, When this show is broadcast, it's going to be the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And in some ways, what, uh, as as crazy as this may sound, what the Republican administration did around 9-11 in terms of lying to the American people and going into Iraq and getting us into a 20-year war in Afghanistan. I see a kind of straight line between the death of truth, the death of trust in government and institutions, the further, the further backing off of trust in institutions. I see a straight line between what The Republicans under Bush did in going into Iraq and Afghanistan, lying to us about the reasons uh, perpetuating this war and where we are today in terms of the overall challenges to our democracy. Bringing it down to a fine point, the California recall system um, uh, and the fact that that he would be he's in trouble because he had dinner at the French laundry um, is is endemic of an electorate which no longer has a ground that it trusts to stand on. And right. it and it means it, it, it's a real challenge to our democracy. Um, uh, I don't know that Biden, with his kind of calm, um, uh, fatherly approach to things, I mean, he's being pretty tough on COVID now. But I, I don't know that He's enough to turn this around. We have a serious, long-term challenge to our democracy that 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 originates with the terror attack in 9/11 and our response to it. Um, so, for those for, for those who are, you know, thinking about the this anniversary of these awful events and the 20 years that have followed, um, uh, in some ways. Uh, the, the guys who attacked us um, got their wish. The American democracy is in some chaos now.
0: Well, I don't disagree entirely with you singling out 9-11 as a formative point. I, I do think that there's, and I, I, I know you're not I- ignoring these, but I think there are other factors. What What I'm concerned about is that Look, there's a long history in American politics, probably in every society, of an overreaction, of of people in general having a, a kind of a mob reaction. That's why we have a system of law to prevent mob and vigilante justice. It hasn't always been successful, um, but w- we we don't want to turn over questions of justice and administration of law in our country to the mob. We also, by and large, the framers avoided making decisions via referenda. We elect people like you, and when you were a member of Congress, you did have your own principles, your own views, and you expressed them in the campaign, and people got a chance to vote for you or not. But I remember being in rooms with you. You very much had on your mind, as you made decisions on votes, what do the people I represent want? That is you're a representative, you have that firmly in mind. And we have that system so that we insulate ourselves somewhat from the reaction and the overreaction of the mob. What I see, and I agree with you that 9-11 did represent a fundamental psychological break for Americans, but what I saw there was a growing reaction. What did it lead to? When the Democrats lost in 2004 and the war began to string out, what we saw was the reaction, which became Barack Obama. Well, what was the reaction to that? The reaction to that was the backlash of the Tea Party and the ascension of the far right. And what was the backlash to that? Well, that, that eventually grew into Donald Trump. And so what I see along the way is Other factors in our society: the splintering of the media, which we talked about on Tuesday on balance of power, the rise of social media, the virality index, the like and share button, which were introduced in 2009, in 2012, uh, the retweet button for, for for Twitter. Those factors making it easier and easier to be governed by mob overreaction. So when people have panic about cancel culture and woke policing of our culture. That's what they're basically saying is that we have turned the keys to the car societally over to mob overreaction. That's what we're seeing in the California recall. That's what I'm concerned about with 20 page long ballots that Kathleen referred to because California allows so many things to be decided by referenda. And I think, and I think you're saying the same thing. I think we're increasingly seeing that in our politics is rule by mob overreaction online or at the ballot box. And it's a dangerous thing. Democracy yeah. is great in appropriate doses. And I'm going to give you the last word, but you have 10 seconds to give it. And so the founders developed institutions which
2: move at a snail's pace, and we are now living in a world that moves at the rate of uh, the cyber the cyber webs. So we're going to, it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting future. This is Beyond Politics. I'm Paul Hodes with my co-host Matt Robeson. Thanks for joining us. We will be back next week with more Beyond Politics. Check out our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe. See you next week.